Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast, Trojan Blast recruiting version of the Peristyle Podcast. It's been a while since we've talked recruiting. Obviously, a lot's been going on with the start of the season and Lane Kiffin being fired, so we needed to get Gerard Martinez on here during the bye week to talk about what's been going on with USC football recruiting. What's up, Gerard? How you doing? I'm doing good. We're trying to catch up on a little sleep here this week, last week. We didn't get it. <laughs> exactly. There was a lot going on. There still continues to be uh, a lot going on in the world of USC's coaching search. So we'll keep you up to date on that. But we wanted to talk about some recruiting. Um, Ed Orgeron was the recruiting coordinator. Now he's the head coach. But it seems like recruiting has taken a little bit of a turn since, you know, a little over a week ago when Lane Kiffin was let go. What do you think has been happening in the world of recruiting, Gerard? A little bit of a turn. Uh, it looks like locally, USC is putting a little more emphasis in uh, in, in evaluating and, and maybe offering uh, more recruits locally than they had. Uh, obviously, USC is has always been a school that has gone out to the southeast and to the east and offered uh, a lot of kids uh, during the process. But uh, right now, uh, USC has been uh, pretty hot after a few local kids, and you know that's something that. Obviously, the situation that USC is in, um, you know, when you don't have a good season and when there's turmoil within the coaching staff, uh, going over to Florida or going to Georgia and trying to get a four-star, five-star kid is not going to happen. And so you do have to kind of reel it back in a little bit and you have to do uh, a little more recruiting uh, locally and project a little more. Uh, But I think with this change, the, the emphasis is a little more about you know, there were some guys that we just waited on too much, and I think Ed Erdron sees that, and he sees that uh, if you're going to rebuild USC, you're going to have to do it in Southern California, and you're going to have to do it in California. And that's, you know, really, um, you know, what we've seen with some of the latest offers. Um, you know, today, uh, wide receiver Shea Fields, who's, uh, you know, about 5'11", 170 pounds, um, kind of a, a thin, um, smaller uh, Steve Smith kind of uh, wide receiver. Really, I shouldn't. You know, I mean, Steve Smith, but a, a guy that um, is very smooth in his routes and uh, gets very vertical. Um, a, a kind of a possession receiver, but uh, the kind of possession receiver that can get downfield now and again and make some plays. Uh, but uh, you know, he's a guy from St. John Bosco that USC has just offered today. USC obviously needs some receivers. They need some receivers right now. Unfortunately, they can't bring these guys in for next week. Um, but, um, you know, that's that's a position that all of a sudden you're starting to see, you know, that numbers game is starting to hit them a little bit with the injuries that they've had. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I think uh, locally that's kind of been the emphasis lately. USC just Friday went out and the whole coaching staff went to see uh, local high schools. You know, they were out to see uh, Bobby Okariki at uh, Foothill High School in Tustin. They were out at St. John Bosco. T. Martin and Ed Ergeron were there to watch St. Bosco, St. John Bosco take on Crenshaw. Um, 
they're all over the Southland, La Mirada. Um, they're up at the San Pedro. Uh, and I don't remember a time when the whole coaching staff was local. You know, usually they send a couple guys out uh, to go see, you know, someone play, uh, you know, in Florida or go see someone play out there in New Jersey or Ohio. Uh, but this weekend it was all local guys. And uh, then they followed up Saturday by going to see uh, Jugos. So I think, you know, that's definitely been a little bit of the turn. And, you know, we've seen some offers result from it. How they play that with, you know, actually accepting commitments is kind of remains to be seen. That's going to be kind of a difficult thing because even Pat Hayden is put in a situation now where he has to look at it and say, okay, do we want to accept an offer from a player that, you know, if there's a new head coach, if there's a, a coach that comes in and it's not at Ergeron, he may want to do something different. He may want to go in a different direction with that scholarship offer. And then you kind of have bad PR if all of a sudden you're pulling scholarship offers from committed recruits. That becomes a very complicated, messy situation. So the the second half of it, of, of offering guys and actually getting them committed, that remains to be seen how USC actually handles that. Um, well, you mentioned California guys and uh... – we had this was you know several weeks ago, but uh, a bunch of people wanted to know, and this one is from Jay, um, and he, he he updated this recently too. We had questions about Adarius Pickett from before, but he said with the firing of Lane Kiffin, do you think there's any chance that Adarius Pickett would uh, take a visit and you could steal him away from UCLA? Yeah, I think Adarius Pickett is going to take a visit to USC regardless. To be honest with you, he's kind of stated otherwise. But I think if DJ Calhoun is still committed to USC, and even if he's not and USC brings in, you know, a big hire, a a big splash, um, I'm not really sure how it would all play out if Ed Ergeron continued to be uh, the head coach. That's harder to say because DJ hasn't really talked so much about that. And and I think a lot of these kids have have not necessarily – gotten too much into what could happen at USC because they don't know either. And they don't want to necessarily, you know, burn bridges with the current staff, but at the same time are interested to see what changes scheme wise and what changes personality within the coaching staff, if they bring somebody else in. Um, But I think that, that, you know, really twofold, if there's some stability and USC wins some games with that Ergeron, I could see them keeping DJ Calhoun and I could see a Darius Pickett turn around and officially visiting or I could see if USC brought in, you know, a big hire, uh, and that obviously big hire, that word big is, is, is subjective. You know, I mean, it's big for one person, may not be big for another, but uh, whatever that guy might be, you know, Chris Peterson, a Jack Del Rio, um, whoever that, you know, people get excited about, that would probably bring a Darius Pickett in. It would bring in a lot of recruits for uh, official visits. There's kids, you know, now that want to take official visits to USC, and they don't, you know, have a permanent head coach. Uh, So, I mean, you know, everybody talks about USC recruiting itself. That's true. I think the situation of potential in the future, if you bring in a big hire, uh, obviously excites kids and they want to go and they want to talk to that coach and they want to see, you know, what direction is USC going in now? Is this this the beginning of that next chapter? Can they make another run like they did with Pete Carroll? That's the back of everybody's mind. Um, Well, we talked about some defensive backs, and Luke in Los Angeles wanted to know, uh, I'm sorry, uh, this was David in Orange County wanted to know, uh, why does USC keep missing out on recruiting corners? It's such a need at that position. You would think a lot of the California high school players would love to come and play for USC. That's that's kind of a, a general question, and you say miss, and, and, you know, how far back do you want to go with, with miss? You know, um, 
obviously last year they kind of put all their eggs into the Jalen Ramsey basket. So last year specifically, that's the reason. I mean, that's the reason specifically. Jalen Ramsey, five-star, a guy that, uh, you know, is starting games for Florida State right now. That was a guy that they put all their eggs into the basket with. And, you know, Jermaine Kelly, a local kid that went up to Washington, was a guy that uh, a lot of people liked. And USC decided, you know what, we just don't want to complicate things with Jalen Ramsey. And they just they continued to have Chris Hawkins committed, local guy, and then they had Jalen Ramsey. And they really wanted, I think, three in the last class. And so they were even kind of biting their lip a little bit on just bringing in two. But again, Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey. They felt Jalen Ramsey was that special. He's a guy that you could bring in would start right away. And that would be a big boost. And if you, you know, looked at that situation right now, you bring in a guy into the cornerback rotation of the roster right now, that's going to be a big boost to the roster. So they lose him. It was almost like they lost two corners because they didn't recruit the third guy. And then they lost him on top of it. And they weren't able to get Jermaine Kelly at the end when they ended up offering him, which was like, you know, a week before signing day. And it basically ended up with just Chris Hawkins. So, Last year, that's the reason. Um, other years, it you know, I think it's one of those things where corners in high school, you have to project nine times out of ten because most high school coaches are not putting their best athletes at corner. Even the guys that may be better corners physically at the next level, high school coaches are going to put him at safety. He may be playing running back. He may be playing receiver. He may be playing linebacker. I mean, they may be playing a lot of different positions because corner is – uh, really a position that doesn't make a lot of impact in the high school game, not unless you're playing against a team that throws the ball a lot, but even then they're just going to throw the other side of the field. And most high school teams do not have good, two good corners or, or you know, two Division one corners. So what you're going to see is that they're at another position. So you have to project that you know, safety or that running back and go, okay, we think he can play corner. And sometimes those kids don't even want to play corner. You get a guy like uh, DeAnthony Thomas, who USC projected as a corner who wanted to play running back. And people still question whether if he would have went to USC, he would have been okay playing running back. Obviously, in Oregon system, he can play running back. But in a pro system, could he play running back? In the NFL, will he be a guy that's going to be an every-down running back? Or is he kind of going to be one of those specialty-type players? Um, so, yeah, there's, there's always that, you know, th- those guys that can slip through the cracks, um, maybe because they don't want to play corner, maybe because USC just didn't project them as corners. Um, but, you know, they've had their success, too. You've had your Terrell Thomases, you've had your Kevin Thomases, you've had your Sharice Wright. Um, they've had guys, and I think with the local players, it's definitely one of those things where um, they may not be playing that position in, in high school, maybe even playing defensive back. You know, I mean, Richard Sherman was a guy that played some corner but wanted to play receiver out of high school and went to Stanford to play receiver. Um, USC didn't offer him a scholarship, uh, despite kind of the, the revisionist history that we hear from Pete Carroll in, in Seattle. From what I understand and what I remember, they didn't actually offer him a scholarship. Uh, they offered Brandon Browner a scholarship, and he was basically assigned a commit up to a point, and then because of his grades, USC started backing off on him, and maybe backed off him for some other reasons. But that's a guy that you know USC obviously missed on him. And that guy is six four, two hundred five pounds, and plays, you know, cornerback. Um, so I mean, there there are those guys that they definitely missed on. You know, Antoine Casey was a guy that uh, you know USC missed on, and they kind of I think missed, knew they missed on him 
kind of the next year, it was like, yeah, we kind of should have went after him. He was a guy that just didn't time well, and they just weren't really sure about him if he was really a cover guy. And that's where, you know, when you start getting enamored with going to Florida and going to Georgia, there's a lot of those guys that get a lot of hype early on in their high school career. And it's not the same out here. You're not going to quite get that much hype. And because you've seen these kids locally, you evaluate them differently. And I think that's something USC just systematically with recruiting, they have to change. They have to realize that you cannot put uh, higher criteria on a kid locally to get a scholarship offer than some kid in Florida or some kid in Georgia or some kid in Alabama because a lot of these guys are getting offers just based on film. You're not seeing them in person. You're not going back there and being able to see all those kids that they've offered scholarships to in person. But locally, it's like, well, we want this kid to camp. Or we want this kid to run this type of 40. And you go and you, you put all your eggs in the basket of the kid out of state and maybe ends up being a good player. But maybe it turns out to be T.J. Bryant. And it's all hype. And the guy's no better than the guy that you had down the street at Los Alamitos. So that, from that standpoint, I think that's something USC has to kind of review and look at and say, you know, uh, is it paralysis from overanalysis? Are we looking at these guys locally so much that we're kind of talking ourselves out of offering them, you know, the more you see a kid, the more you start to pick apart the, the, you know, the things that you don't like about him rather than just seeing him once or twice and going, wow, you know what, he's a great player. And so that's, that's something I, I think comes into play with the defensive back position as well. Uh, this one is from Luke. I'm sorry, I got a little ahead of myself. He said, do you think USC is going to change the policy of no in-season official visits? I think it's possible, but maybe not probable. I think that Ed Erdron, being a guy that, that likes to make statements, and I think he wants to go through the recruiting process as much as possible and, and, and give the coaching staff as many chances as possible to recruit these kids, I think there's going to be some input also from the administration. And because things are so topsy-turvy, there's going to be so much going on with the coaching search there's going to be rumors that come along. There's going to be questions that can't necessarily be answered at this point in time. I think USC as a program may want to just push things back a little bit to the end of November to December and not necessarily complicate things with kids coming in and officially visiting when they don't know what the situation is really going to be. I mean, we have to still look at Ed Erdron as an interim coach. That is the, the position he's in. He's going to try to coach himself into that job next year. But in order to do that, he has to continue to coach. And you have to win games, and you have to go through that process of winning games. And so you really want to see uh, what's on the other side of that. And, and that's true of the recruits, but that's also true of USC and bringing you know, kids in b- before that's finished, before that's complete, before we know what you know, takes place with that process. It, it would be a little presumptuous. You, know, you bring in a kid on an official visit, He's used that visit. He cannot official visit USC again. And then you have a coach change, and then you have all these questions about that coach that could have been answered on an official visit that that particular recruit can't take again. So I think that is really going to be the the big hurdle and probably the reason why they won't uh, have official visits during the season. Now, if you're talking about next year and Ed Erdron is the coach, I think it's a greater possibility. I think that uh, USC may, in fact, actually have – um, a lot of official visits during the season. I think that's very possible. Uh, well, what if Lane uh, <laughs> Kiffin? What if Ed Orgeron and the Trojans end up, you know, winning a few games in a row? They do get some momentum. Do you think that would change things? 
it depends on how I think confident Pat Hayden and J.K. McKay are in hiring Edardron, uh full time for next year, for next season, and, and beyond. I, I think that's what it really comes down to. I, I think it's it's you know what games you win, and and how it impacts you know the staff in the future. Because again, that it's all about that question of if we bring in another guy. This official visit is gone. It's wasted. It's you know we brought him in with the staff that may not even be here next year at all. Nobody may on this staff may be here next year. So do you really want to do that and risk that because then you kind of kind of blow your chances with that recruit? I mean not completely, but you cannot bring him on a, an official visit. And so basically you're bringing in that new head coach cold on an in-home visit and trying to sell the recruit on that coach just with an in-home visit. And that's one shot also. Uh, so that it's it's tough. I, I think that uh, you, you really it's how many games and what games are winning, and really at the end of the day, the confidence that the administration has that Edward Jones our guy, and we're confident with this. This is the, the direction we're going to go. So let's bring these kids in and let's get it started on now and and get some momentum and, and work uh, this recruiting class and get the most out of it. Uh, Melvin had a question, and you kind of I mean we talked about this already, but I'll read the question and you can comment further if you'd like. Um, he says, since Coach O will take over for a while now, do you anticipate a different emphasis on local recruits versus out-of-state recruits? I ask because my perception is that Coach Kiffin put a lot more energy into the out-of-state kids than the in-state local kids. And what changes do you expect from Coach O as to recruiting, such as emphasizing linemen over skill guys? That's, uh, I mean, it's a good question. And we, like you said, kind of answered it a little bit already. He has put more emphasis uh, on local recruits. Um, it's interesting because, I mean, he was the recruiting coordinator under Lane Kiffin, so it certainly wasn't one of those things where he had no say in the recruiting process and who they went and evaluated and who they offered scholarships to. It really had to go through Lane Kiffin and Ed Ergeron. Uh, I just think now it's one of those things where maybe Ed is listening to his assistants more. Maybe it's more emphasis on those guys and their evaluations and feeling like, hey, if you want this kid, if you think this kid is good enough to be on this team – that I'm putting my trust in you. Whereas, and, I, and I'm you know, speculating here, where Lane Kiffin was himself a recruiting coordinator at one point, um, you know, fancies himself as a good talent evaluator, and felt like, you know, not, that guy's not SC material. And regardless of what the assistant coaches and the, co- and the coaches that recruited specific regions thought of a particular recruit, he didn't necessarily feel like he was ready to sign off on those recruits. So it just might be one of those things where Ed is, is allowing his assistants to do more. I mean, it may be something that we also see transfer onto the field. You know, Clay Helton, call the plays. You're the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, uh, Clint Spendergast, you're the defense coordinator. Call the plays. Um, you know, the, the receivers coaches, hey, this is what we want in the playbook because this is what, you know, we have at the receiver position. Let's get away from this particular aspect of the playbook and let's go here. Okay, you know what? Clay, T. Martin, talk about it. Figure it out. Make sure it happens. And, and, that, is, and that would be obviously very different than what we saw with Lane Kiffin and how he ran the playbook. So maybe it's just that, that different philosophy of allowing your assistants uh, a, a little more, uh, you know, uh, just a, a little more laissez-faire, I guess, attitude towards um, micromanaging and controlling and telling, you know, everybody this is what we're going to do and this is what we have to do and allowing those assistants a little more freedom. So, you know, locally, they've definitely put more emphasis, and that's, you know, coming from Ed Ergeron, uh, but in terms of the scholarship offers and, and the push on, you know, local guys, Brad Kaya, you know, it's a, just – 
180, 85-pound. Uh, well, actually, I think he's bigger than that. I think he's more like 195-pound um, quarterback from Chaminade High School. A guy that's a, it's a solid player. I'm kind of surprised that USC offered him. They're in a position where you've got Max Wittick and you've got Cody Kessler. I don't know if either of those guys are really in a spot to transfer right now. I think Wittick has to be thinking, you know, it, it, Cody – Cody hasn't played lights out. <laughs> Let's just be honest with it. Um, and you have the possibility of a new regime coming in, which, you know, may decide they like Max Wittick better. I, you know, however that plays out, I, I don't necessarily see why one of those guys would, would necessarily transfer now. Um, you've got Max Brown there. So you've got your three quarterbacks. Uh, the one big question at quarterback would be David Sills. Uh, David Sills, a 2015 uh, quarterback from Elton, Maryland. Uh, from Eastern Academy uh, Christian High School back east, who you know was a teammate of Kenny Bigelow and Khalil Rogers. That's a guy that you know with Lane Kiffin gone, he had such a you know tight relationship with Lane Kiffin. Uh, his father had a very tight relationship with Lane Kiffin. You know, a, a new coaching staff would obviously change that. Um, you know, if Ed Ergeron sticks around, then I think there's you know a greater chance of David Sills sticking around but a new coach may come in and say you know David Sills not my kind of quarterback I, I sorry but you know that was an offer from the last guy we're not going to you know hold that offer over for the new staff and he has to go somewhere else and that's kind of you know where a lot of the commits are right now some guys I think needlessly worrying about that a guy like Toa Lobendon who I don't think any coach that comes in is going to say, yeah, I want Tolan Lobendon, quite frankly. I'm willing to go out on that limb and say Tolan Lobendon is good enough to where any coach that USC brings in or whether they keep Ed Ergeron, they're going to want Tolan Lobendon. But there's other guys that are there that are committed that may have to worry a little more, that may question that a little more um, in terms of their build, in terms of what type of player they fit in, in terms of what type of scheme. Um, so, you know, USC has gone out and they, and they offer Brad Kaya, and that's kind of a, an interesting offer just because it's a local guy obviously but it's a guy at the quarterback position and you wonder okay 2015 class is stacked they've got divvy sills committed maybe there's some question marks there okay you want another one of those guys in 2015 and brad cat is not going to scare away josh rosen ricky town um you know maybe even kevin dillman i mean he, there's a lot of guys there that i don't think uh, brad kyle is going to scare away so you're trying to build up a little bit of depth but if nobody's leaving on the current roster which i i kind of question why anybody would then you kind of go oh, okay that's an interesting offer you you're, you're looking to have you know what five uh quarter four quarterbacks on the roster when you're only you're still you know in sanctions you're still got another year before you're out of that 75 uh, so that so those kind of offers are going to be the more interesting ones where it's a local offer, but they've offered a guy the position, which right now looks like it's okay. Does that signify that something down the line is going to change? Whether it changes with the David Stills for the 2015 class, where USC might take two quarterbacks in that class, so now they're going to spread it out and just take one, and then take one in 2014, or Am I wrong? And one of those quarterbacks that's on the roster is looking around going, eh, I don't want to be here anymore for whatever reason. I mean, to me, that doesn't make much sense just because the situation is not settled and there's no stability. And really, either of those guys can end up starting next year, uh, you know, unless somebody just all of a sudden lights it up and is great this, you know, at the end of this year. I don't know that, you know, the job isn't still open and we're still not going to do the QBR next spring and next fall. <laughs> QBR could be back. Uh, well, we went to Twitter for some questions. Drew wants to know: uh, Will with no, excuse me, with no more Kiffins on the staff, do you think USC will still be successful recruiting in Florida? 
Another good question. Um, it's definitely going to change. There's definitely, you know, that connection there. Um, Monty Kiffin just had a lot of respect in Tampa. And USC could go into Tampa and some some connections and some, some, some ground had already been laid there um, for them and, and for them to be able to kind of go into high schools and, and win the hearts and minds of, you know, the high school staff. And there's obviously a lot of familiarity with who the coaches are in that area. And, and that goes a long way. You know, it's connections, but it's also familiarity, and it's also knowing the neighborhoods and knowing the grounds and knowing what schools have guys and what schools have guys that turn out not to be guys um, and, and what coaches you can deal with and what coaches are going to, you know, be homers or they're going to send a kid to a certain school just because. So that's going to be interesting. It, it could shift. You know, we've seen – Really, USC recruit Florida well, and a lot of that has been, you know, Lane Kiffin going back to the the early days of USC when he was just a receivers coach. They still recruited Florida pretty good when he when he left there for that stretch. But you know, Pete Carroll still had money, and and there was still that kind of you know that that relationship there where you go, okay, well maybe you know, they're, they're helping them out a little bit, even behind the scenes. Pat Rule recruited Florida when they landed TJ Bryant and they recruited a few other guys from Florida. Um, but they didn't have, you know, quite the success that they certainly do, you know, in the past couple of years, they've been, you know, very good with, you know, Leon McQuay and, and, uh, and Leonard Williams. So that's going to be, you know, something that could definitely change. They could end up hiring a guy, let's say Gary Patterson. They get Gary Patterson as a coach. Well, all of a sudden Texas opens up. And USC doesn't really recruit Texas right now. I mean, they recruit it, and they offer guys here and there, but they really don't have the ins in Texas that, uh, that they do there in Tampa and Florida, the kind of things that you know who the champion is of that particular recruit, meaning you know who in that family is the influential um, part of the decision-making process. You know, is it the mom? Is it the dad? Is it the high school coach? Is it the, the foster dad? Is it the stepdad? Is it the guy that is his uncle that's not really his uncle, but is the guy that pretty much takes him everywhere and buys him clothes and basically, you know, puts a roof over his head? I mean, there's a lot of weird, weird situations with recruiting and a lot of different, you know, family issues and things that you have to kind of negotiate to be able to really get to the recruit and get to the decision-making process and be able to affect that. You know, you're trying to find all these different, you know, ways and you're trying to talk to all these different people. And so, you know, when you have those ties in a specific area, you can cut through that really quickly and you can start, you know, recruiting a kid like Nelson Aguilar and get way out of the process before everybody else. And sometimes you know about those kids in those areas before a lot of other schools, maybe not necessarily the local schools, but maybe a lot of the schools in general, if that recruit is going to become a national recruit. So I think that's going to be the interesting aspect to all of this. If, if USC brings in a different staff, you know, who's going to be the guy that's going to have those connections to that one part of the country that all of a sudden USC is going to be able to cherry pick with, you know, I mean, we see it with all kinds of different schools. I mean, Stanford, Stanford has a great little honey hole out there in Virginia where they pluck kids from. And that looks like that's Derek Mason country uh, because he has some ties back there. So you have those coaches on, you know, every staff where you kind of keep going and you hope, you know, that's the coach that is going to be the guy that's going to be the lead dog recruiter. Um, you know, USC with Ed Ergeron, they're going to, they're going to continue to recruit the South. I mean, let's not, let's not talk too yeah. much about, you know, how, 
much emphasis they're going to put in local guys because we know Ed Ron has got you know all kinds of ties in Louisiana. T. Martin has all kinds of ties in Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee. Um, he recruits Florida also for USC. So he'll continue to work there. Whether he'll have the same success without Lane and Monty and maybe some other guys, well, that remains to be seen. Uh, but he's a really good recruiter, so we know that he's going to continue to, to you know, forge those relationships in those areas. So USC is still going to be thick in the southeast. It's just a matter of finding a spot where you can get the kids that are willing to leave. You know, being a great recruiter in Alabama for USC it's kind of an oxymoron. I mean, you can have all the ties in the world to, to Alabama, but guess what? You're recruiting against Alabama, and then you're recruiting against Auburn, and then you're recruiting against Florida State, and then you're recruiting against LSU. I mean, you're recruiting against a lot of schools that you got to go through to pluck a kid and get him out to Southern California. That's very difficult. Texas, more open. Um, you know, certain areas of Texas like Dallas and Houston, bigger cities, kids are from different areas. They have family in different areas. They're a little more forward thinking, a little easier to get into, just like Tampa and Miami and some of the places that USC has been able to pluck kids away from Florida. Uh, okay. We have uh, Jay Brax, 1122, had two questions. First one, uh, any commits, any guys you think you'll commit with no head coach? Uh, current head, like no current head coach besides uh, Ed Orgeron. Anyone out there you think that's a possibility? Are, are there kids that might want to commit? Uh, because that, that's more the question because obviously we, we don't know what USC will do. You know, I mean, the other side of the coin is how does USC want to play that? And that's one of those things that I kind of suspect they're going to want to slow play the process a little bit and they're not going to necessarily want to have kids commit. I tell you, a guy that could come out, and, he, and you know, this is again the official visit process for him, but a guy that's definitely on the radar that I've talked to that I feel is, is a USC type kid is Josh Frazier. Uh, he's a 6'4, 320 pound defensive tackle from Springdale, Arkansas. And, you know, he's a guy that talked about USC being his dream school throughout the process, and when he got offered, he was really excited about it. But then when, you know, I saw him at the opening and I had a chance to kind of talk to him in person and, and really just get a vibe for his personality and kind of watch him around other kids, I mean, he's definitely that kind of USC recruit, a guy that USC can go into the South and get. And being that Ed Erdogan is a defensive line coach and now the interim head coach, I can see him coming out and being really enamored with USC, being really, really like, I love USC, I want to commit to USC. But that would be a guy that – Really, even in the even with that said, I think USC would want to slow play because he's in Arkansas and he has he has offers from a lot of the southeastern schools. So, do you really want to put him out there like that? I mean, I think USC should have won their lesson last year. When you have all those kids come in early, you put targets on their back, and everybody and their brother comes in and they just stand in line to say bad things about your school and how you're this and how you're that. So, it's one of those things where I, I think again USC wouldn't necessarily want him to come out and, and say, yes, I'm, I'm going to USC. I love USC. My official visit was spectacular. Um, I think that they would want to kind of keep that on the low and keep that quiet. Um, are, are there any local kids uh, that have scholarship, scholarship offers that, uh, you know, would want to commit right away without a head coach name with, with there still being kind of an interim? Not really, to be honest with you. You know, I, I mean, a guy that doesn't have a scholarship offer that I know is a huge USC fan that might be tempted to commit to USC just because it's USC would be a guy like Buzzy Bolton, Curtis Bolton, who's actually committed to Oklahoma right now. 
but he's a huge SC fan. I mean, he loves USC. He got Sua going there. He plays at Vista Marietta um, this year, so he was Sua's teammate last year. Uh, a, a guy that, you know, he's a, he's a smaller, kind of 5'11", 6 foot, uh, about a 215, 220-pound outside linebacker, hybrid defensive end, um, kind of a Charles Burks type. I think that would be a really good comparison to him. Um, like I said, USC has not offered him a scholarship yet, but maybe if USC offered him a scholarship, that could be an interesting situation. Um, there's a couple kids like that that, you know, may not have scholarship offers. You know, I know Bryce Dixon is still very high on USC, uh, who's the tight end, 6'4", 200. Well, now he's getting closer to 220 pounds, but, I mean, this is a kid who's going to be 240 pounds really easily. Uh, number one recruit at the tight end position on USC's board, UCLA's board, Oregon's board. Um, he's a guy that still likes USC a lot. But would he commit without a head coach? I, I think those around him would be very – uh, skeptical of that, you know. Do you want to go in that situation? And you, you know, USC could turn around and, you know, have you know our Bryles come in from from uh, Baylor, and does our Bryles want to have a traditional tight end? <laughs> or, or, or you know, I mean, all of a sudden you start talking about schemes and and how you know he wants his linemen, and you know, do you want bigger linemen? Do you want smaller linemen? Uh, that's why I say you know with Toa Lobendon, you know, he's six three two ninety, but he can move. You know, he's a guy that's that's a little bigger, but certainly a guy that, you know, if you needed him to be 285, 280 and kind of stayed that, he could do that. And he'd be a guy that would be more like an Oregon-type lineman that's, a, you know, a smaller, quicker, faster guy that's not trying to drive block people, just trying to kind of nudge him out of the way and get to the next level and block. And he could do that too. So he's a guy that versatility-wise, I don't think there's a coach in the nation, pro or otherwise, that would come in and say, yeah, I don't want that Lobendon kid. Let's go recruit somebody else. That's not happening. Uh, but there are guys that you kind of look at and you go, okay, um, you know, does, does, does USC want to go in this direction or that direction? Um, you know, even with linebacker, you know, DJ Calhoun's a guy that's not a big linebacker. Does a coach go in and come in and go, eh, you know what, I, I need a bigger guy playing Mike for me. Um, you know, uh, the Hayes Puller's not a big enough guy. I need a big enough guy. But that's, a, that's a legitimate question. That's a legitimate something that, you know, DJ Calhoun has to look at as a recruit and, and kind of look at his options and realize, okay, I, I don't think USC is going to strip scholarship offers from guys that are committed. I think it's just bad PR, and I don't think they want to do that. But if, you know, a guy's looking around and he's kind of got the door open, then it's kind of one of those things where USC kind of has to do the same thing. And so I, I think that's going to be the interesting thing if they do bring in somebody new. What is the, 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 the first line of communication to the commits? You know, what's that first message to them? Is it, if you're looking, we're looking. And this is why, you know, I think some people are very hesitant with bringing in a pro coach because that's something that uh, you're going to have to have some guidance on. You know, a pro coach is not necessarily going to know how to handle that situation right off the bat. You don't just jump into it and go, okay, I got, you know, seven commits here. I'm not really sure about this guy. Like, I, I, I don't really know. You know, I mean – you're talking about a coach that really hasn't evaluated necessarily high school players for a long time. You're talking about a guy that's going to the NFL combine and he's looking at, you know, draft film. It's a little different than looking at, you know, huddle film of, of some kid, you know, from, you know, some Northern California or wherever it may be. And you're trying to decide, okay, this is a guy that's good for our scheme. Uh, that, and, and then if he's not good for your scheme, okay, but we're going to honor that scholarship anyways. Well, he's taking official visits and he says he's open still. Well, then, well, what well, then? What you know? <laughs> so, we're, are we open? What are we doing? <laughs> you know, what are we? Are we? Are we going to kind of look at other guys now? Do we stop calling him? Or that's a very sticky situation. That whole thing. And so, 
that's going to need, uh, you know, somebody at the recruiting coordinator position that knows how to handle that stuff. And it's going to take, you know, good communication with the administration to make sure that, you know, each of these situations is done and handled properly. So you don't get a Kylie Fitz type situation. You know, you don't get those bad PR situations that keep on coming up on the recruiting trail and other schools use to recruit against you. Um, all right. Well, we, we got some breaking news, which is I actually, I did a podcast with, uh, um, Stuart Mandel, and there was some breaking news going on during while we were taping the podcast, and we just had something going on while we were taping this podcast. Uh, according to CoachingSearch.com, uh, Pete Jenkins is going to be brought in as assistant, a uh, defensive line coach. Uh, he was uh, in the SEC for a long time. I know he's LSU. He's 72 years old, 45 years of coaching experience, and has been retired since 2009. Uh, so that was breaking just right now. And uh, Kyle... Um, tweeted in what what to get your thoughts on. I don't know if you're very familiar with uh, Pete Jenkins. I'll have to look him up myself. But uh, any thoughts on them bringing in a assistant coach? Well, I I, I figured with the defensive line, Edwards trying to be a head coach right now, and it's hard to get focused and you know kind of you're, you're kind of being myopic if you're just oh defensive line we're coaching defensive line. Obviously, he's going to have a hand in defensive line. He's going to be involved with the defensive line. But I thought he might bring somebody else in. And he could go one of two ways. He's going to go after a younger guy that would normally be a GA in a lot of situations or go for an older guy and a guy that he trusts, a guy that he's been around, a guy that he knows that can teach and handle drills and do things without him having to constantly you know, be there uh, as an oversight. So I don't know anything about Pete Jenkins. I know he was a coach at LSU. I just pulled up his bio at LSU. And I'm looking at it, and uh, he's from uh, Macon, Georgia, so he's another Southern guy. Went to Western Carolina in 1964. Uh, you know, was a high school coach quite a bit. You know, coached at Warner Robins, a good program down there in Georgia. Uh, was at Columbus, Georgia, Phoenix City, Alabama. He was actually the head coach there. That's a good program in Alabama. Um, and then was, uh, you know, over the place, you know, Oklahoma State, Florida. Defensive line coach, defensive line coach, defensive line coach. He's been a defensive line coach for the last 30 years. <laughs> the last time he was a coordinator was in 1972 for North Alabama. So he's been uh, – or excuse me, I'm, I'm telling a lie. That's uh, 1977 was Southern Miss. He was a defensive coordinator. But he was a defensive line coach at uh, Oklahoma State, defensive line coach Florida, and defensive line coach, defensive coordinator. So he was a defensive coordinator again in the 90s for LSU and a defensive line coach for Mississippi State, Auburn, and LSU again in 2000. So uh, we're looking at the guy that uh, – he's a defensive line coach. Yeah. <laughs> he's done a lot, little bit of that over his career. So that's uh, that'll be kind of interesting. So I – I know Ed Orgeron at practice talked about it have to be the right fit, you know, what the different guys they were kind of looking at. Uh, just having three full-time assistants on the defensive side of the ball, one being the head coach, one being the defensive coordinator, that did not seem like it was going to work out okay. They obviously have an opening because Lane Kiffin's no longer on staff, so bringing in Pete Jenkins is with the report uh, that we're hearing right now. So I thought that was kind of interesting development. I don't know how that's going to affect uh, recruiting at all, but those are the guys over at coachingsearch.com, and I communicate with them fairly often. They're they're a good good group of guys. I believe what they're saying, so I don't, I don't have any reason not to trust this report. Yep, I'll try to verify it and uh, see if I can get some more details on uh, you know recruiting wise. That's that's another can of worms. Um, you know that I 
who knows? Uh, that's going to be one thing where, you know, obviously he's got a lot of ties down south, uh, but um, not necessarily going to make a big splash. You know, uh, an older coach that hasn't coached uh, uh, for a while and, and not necessarily a, a big name or anything. This is more about the team. This is more about getting a guy that uh, knows the defense, knows what Ed Erdron wants. Ed Erdron obviously trusts him. He's probably known him for a number of years. Uh, there may be some type of overlap there. Uh, you know, I, I just went through his um, his bio really quickly uh, with with Ed Erdron, but um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously just familiarity there and, and comfort there, and, and that's big always with coaches and a coaching staff. That's always uh, a, a huge thing, and obviously uh, for him to come into this situation, Pete Jenkins is, it realizes that this is a, a an interesting situation to come in in the middle of the year. You know, I mean, this is something that you know is not normal for a coach to just come in in the middle of the year and you don't know any of these players and these players don't know you and you have to develop that rapport because the players also have to trust him. You know, the players have to trust that he knows what he's talking about. Ed Orgeron can stand there and say, "Look, at, this guy's a guy. He knows what I know. I trust him." listen to him, but there has to be that buy-in from the defensive line and the guys that feel like, okay, that's true. You know, okay, yeah, you know what, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, and that's just going to be a process. So um, interesting interesting times we are in with USC football. But, um, I mean, that's why everybody's excited. I mean, this peristyle is buzzing yeah. every day with anything that comes up about any coach, whether it's a long-shot guy like, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin – or it's uh, an outside-the-box type, you know, uh, type possibility like a Josh McDaniels. You know, everybody has their feelings on who should be hired and what the criteria should be. And, you know, a lot of people try to shout down other people about, you know, this is what USC needs. But at the end of the day, nobody really knows. People can sit back and look at their statistics and say, well, this guy did this, this, and this, and he did this, this, and this here. But you know what? You put them in this different situation with different circumstances, and you may get different results. So uh, I implore everybody that when a guy is hired, whether it's Ed Orgeron named as being uh, the next head coach for the next 10 years or it's a new guy that comes out of nowhere or it's a guy that everybody really wanted, whatever it is, you got to just take a step back and let the guy actually coach. And let him coach and, and give the process some time instead of, uh, you know, or, already trying to make assumptions as to how things will go, uh, the, you know, the first week that he's hired. All right. Well, great stuff, Gerard. Thanks for all the questions on email and Twitter. Sorry if we didn't get to all of them, but we had some breaking news there. We're going to have to scramble and get on some of that since we're recording a podcast while the news is breaking. Uh, but we will get on that. And uh, thanks again, Gerard. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Trojan Blast recruiting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Our regular show will be back on Monday. Don't forget, Thursday night, we got more information on uscfootball.com. If you're going to the game, you cannot tailgate on campus. You can't park on campus. So check out uscfootball.com for all the latest on that. If you're going to the game, have a good time, and we'll see you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 